Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Okay, so the reading today is taken from Numbers 11, verses 10 to 17 and 24 to 25. And at the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and I would be grateful if you would respond with, thanks be to God. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, Please go ahead and kill me, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders, who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. This is the word of the Lord. Can we just bow our heads one more time for prayer? So, Lord, as we go into your sacred word, Lord, we pray that you would sanctify our hearts to be able to receive what it is that you have prepared for us. But I pray particularly, O oh Lord, for our ordinance. I pray that you will cause your spirit, the spirit that came upon those that were chosen, pray that your spirit will open up their own hearts. I pray that Jesus will speak to them. 
And so they would experience the same thing that the disciples on the road to Emmaus experienced. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? And so, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for all of us. Let our hearts burn as your spirit speaks to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, again, welcome everyone, and uh, if you came in after, I initially said welcome, we're happy to have you. Um, just before we get into what we, what we need to get to, I do want to say something, and for some of you that don't know me, I want to tell you a little bit about, um, about my life, my vocational life. Uh, many people don't know that. I once worked for an insurance company, insurance company. Now, the reason I don't talk much about this, you know, I can tell you the other places I work. The reason I don't talk much about it, it was that was the only place I was fired from. I was fired. I was fired. Now, why was I fired? I started the job around September. I think it was September. But when we were starting at the training, I told them, I said, listen, because it, was, it wasn't in Nigeria. So I said, I have a trip. They asked us if we had planned holidays. I said, I have a trip planned later in the year. I was going to Nigeria and I was going for three weeks. I had to go and see my babe. So at that point, they said, okay, when that time comes, we will, when that bridge comes, we will cross it. So a time came when we were now faced with the bridge. It was time to cross. And then... They said, okay, they'll consider my request. Then they got back to me. HR got back to me. How many HR people here? May the Lord... You are not raising up your money. You think I can't see you. HR people, may the Lord, may the Lord forgive you people for all the things you have done. Now, the good thing is that every single week that I asked for, I was given leave. The bad thing is that they gave me one day in each week. Monday to be precise. They said, I said, I'm traveling. They said, eh, we're giving you, you wanted three weeks, we'll give you. But don't come on this Monday, don't come on that Monday, don't come on that Monday. I said, what? What? And I felt at this point, you are putting me in a tight corner because you are causing me to choose between the job, and the job sustained my livelihood, everything, and my babe. And let me tell you, if you put, and that babe became my wife. So if you ever put my babe on this side, and my job on this side, I will take my babe every time. I chose right. I said to hell with the job. To hell with the job. Now, so I want to speak to the younger gentlemen around here, all of you. Make sure you do only as I say, not as I did. Don't, don't try it. <laughs> Keep the job keep the job. So I was fired from the insurance company. But I learned a lot about the insurance company whilst I was there, in the three months that I was there. You know the whole insurance industry is built on one premise and one premise alone. You know what it is? Accidents will accidents will happen. So we insure against those accidents happening. What are accidents? Accidents are negative random occurrences. Negative random occurrences. By random, I mean you didn't plan for them. You didn't know they were going to happen. If you knew they were going to happen, you would have planned against them. But it just happened. 
Accidents will happen. How many of us have had accidents in our lives? By that, I don't mean just car accidents, because now you're saying I won't raise up my hand, in fact, so that I will never have it. I mean domestic accidents, your wardrobe malfunction. I remember one time I was going to pick my, my parents-in-law from uh, the train station, and at that point, I refused to believe that all my wife's desserts and all those things that I've been eating was having an effect on me. I kept believing that I was size 32. Imagine being size 32 for five years, four years. One day I had a rude awakening. So I was going to go and pick them. I was going to pick them. I went to pick something from the floor. And then I heard, <laughs> accidents will happen. And you know the thing about accidents happening, I said it's random things you didn't plan for. The more you have accidents happen in your life, at some point, you can start saying, if this accident, this accident, this, or these random things happen in my life, at some point, you'll say, maybe me, I'm an accident. And what betide you if you are one of those children who the parents had 12 years or 15 years after the, the last child? Say, even the way I came, accident. The, all these ones happen, random, accident. And so you start questioning yourself and say, this is my life that I'm living. It doesn't seem like there's a plan. I have a plan, but the plan never works. Is there anything purposeful in my life. It looks like an accident. I'm here to tell you this morning, your life is not an accident. It's not an accident because even when you think your own plan isn't working, you have been ordained by the plan of God. You are not an accident. And more importantly, or more specifically, what this ordination service is telling us is that these four people that are going to be ordained, their lives are not an accident. God has ordained you to serve in his church. And so what I want to do with this brief exhortation is to be able to show us that. Obviously, it has some application to us as well, but I want to speak specifically to them. That God from the foundation of the world knew you and he has appointed you to this office. Amen? Let's start with, um, and I titled this Ordained to Serve, if you didn't catch it. Let's start with uh, Moses again. But before, again, I just quickly get to Moses. Um, if you were, when I was growing up, and it's still a standard I maintain for my children, if you went to know people that went, came from good homes, whenever you ate your food, they gave you your food, we knew that the purpose of the food that you were eating there was another purpose there. You say purpose of food is nutrition, yes. But I'm saying the food in front of you, particularly um, what do you call lunch and dinner, right? There was one purpose and one purpose alone, to get to the meat. Am I lying? Am I lying? That's why if you brought rice, when they gave you your meat, where was it on the side? Was it on the side? Was it on the plate? No, it was where? At the center, because the center tells you the most important part. This is how you know people that weren't trained well when they were, when they were growing up. How do you know? Because when they start eating, where do they go? To the meat. You look, I say this one isn't trained well. Don't delay gratification, missing from their lives. So, at least here in Nigeria, let me tell you, meat is a big deal. Meat has caused wars, it has caused fights, families are split over it, all of those things. It's not just in our own time. It was also in Moses' time. Moses has come to his wit's end. You know you've come to your wit's end when you say, God, if I have found favor on your side, verse 15, kill me. Just, just kill me. No, don't bless me. The blessing you give me now is to kill me. Why is he complaining like this? Well, he's complaining because the people who are complaining, you go to verse 10. He said the people who are complaining, complaining that the, the complaint came to his tent. 
Why were they complaining? Verse 13. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 said, no, no, no. Where can I get what? For all these people. They keep wailing to, to me. Say what? Give us meat. Error. But Moses' complaint to God was deeper than meat. It, because later he comes and he says, the burden is too much for me. What he meant was this. Because this occasion revealed a greater problem. What he meant was this. The burden of leadership of the Lord's people was too much for him. He couldn't do it alone. So God said, you know what you should do? Go and appoint different people. People that are trusted, 70 of them. And then I will enable them to be able to help you in the burden of leadership. Leadership was never meant to be alone. Never meant to be alone. In, in your office, in, your, in our nation, and in the church. You don't have this sort of one person that everybody looks to. If you do that, you'll be like Moses. You'll cry, God, kill me. But it wasn't just among the people of God in the Old Testament. It was among the people of God in the New Testament. The same pattern. When the early church was born, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, everything was happening good. They had seen miracles and all of that. But in verse 1, it says, as they were growing, as disciples were growing, problem happened. What was the problem about? Food. Again, may God help us. You see this food thing and church. Let's leave it. But food, again. So what did they do? What did they do? The leader said, if we start dealing with this thing, the leaders they had, if we start dealing with this thing, the burden will be too much. They'd heard from Moses. So they said, they didn't even wait for God to say it. They said, appoint people, seven of them, let them deal with this thing. And eventually what you had was, you had those leaders who said, we will take care of the word and prayer. They will take care of things like this. And this made, it developed two kinds of offices within the church. One called the overseers or elders or pastors and another called the deacons. So when Paul is writing to the Philippian church, he's writing to the congregation, but he also writes to the overseers and the deacons. When he's giving the qualifications for offices in the church in 1 Timothy 3, he first starts with the overseers. Here is the trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, here are the qualifications. But then in verse 8, he then moves not just to the overseers, in the same way, deacons are worthy of respect. And so... With what I've told you, you can think that, well, it looks like the office of these helpers happened randomly. They were, it was in response to a particular problem. It's true from a human standpoint. But from a divine standpoint, it wasn't that occasion that put it in the mind of God. No, it was something else. Just like you, the places that you are working, the business that you are running, the job that you are doing, the marriage that you are in, the children that you are raising, you may think, oh, it just happened to be that I'm the parent of these children. No. There was a plan right for time. Because whenever God wants to use someone, in fact, when God is using someone, we call that manifestation. They are manifesting what God called them to do. But before you get to manifestation, given this slide, before you get to manifestation, there are four things that have happened before then. Four. So let me tell you, before we get to manifestation, the first is what we call election. The second is what we call preparation. The third is what we call consecration. The fourth is commission before you then get to manifestation. Are we following? Election, preparation, consecration, 
commission, and then manifestation. God chooses before time. Then God prepares the person towards the time when he calls them and then sets them before they now start being used. Now, because of time, I cannot tell you, I can go from Adam, humanity, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to show you all the different people in the Bible that, that this pattern is, um, you can see this pattern in. But rather than do that because of time, I'll just go to the Bible of them all, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Messiah, or is the Messiah. And another way we refer to Messiah in the Bible is Son of God. The title Son of God means Messiah. Now here's the point. We saw Jesus doing a number of messianic things. But here is the thing about it. It wasn't just in response to the things he was seeing. This was a plan beforehand. And I'll show you. So let's start with 1 Peter verse 20. 1 Peter verse 20. Listen to what it says. It says, he was, say it louder. He was what? Chosen. When? Before the creation of the world. But was now revealed. So something happened before time. But in the plan and the purpose of God, where the thing is going to be revealed, it has to be done within a scope of time. So it happened before, planned, chosen, and then in time. Amen? Now let's break it down and let me show you how the other things now work in time. So this Jesus that we're talking about, chosen before, okay, but then he eventually was, we said preparation. So he's being prepared. He comes into the world. He's giving Moses, uh, the, the, the Moses care. Joseph and Mary as parents. He is, goes to the synagogue. We see him when he was 12. That will I not be my father's house? He said he was listening to the people, the teachers that were there. He was studying the scriptures. He was learning carpentry. He was learning how to be a big brother until the time. It was now God calling him. So he had been prepared and then he was going to experience both his consecration and his commission at the baptism in Jordan. So give me Mark 1.10. In baptism in Jordan, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, so his consecration humanly was by John the Baptist in water, but divinely by God, it now says, and they saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him. Consecration. Now, remember I said he was called to be the Messiah, the Son of God. So where was the commission? In the next verse, verse 11. Because the commission comes with God affirming, this is my Son. So when he affirmed, this is my Son, he's affirming him in his Messianic office. Now he says, go and do Messianic things. This, you are my Son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. So after this, Jesus started doing Messianic things. Healing the sick, raising the dead casting out demons, teaching, all of those things. Until one of the most, the ultimate messianic event. One of the ultimate messianic events. Which was what? His death. So what I'm saying is this. The plan of him dying for the salvation of the world was something that happened before time. Now let me give you two verses of scripture that summarize what I've just said. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles. This is human agency. And the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, consecrated, right? And then, what did they do? It says they killed him, right? 28. They, but they, when they killed him, what happened? They did what your power and your will decided when? Let me give you another one. Acts 2 verse 23. 
this man, that's Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Do you see? Jesus' life was not an accident. It was according to the foreknowledge of God, the deliberate plan of God. We could, the people, the, the, the uh, Pontius Pilate and all those people thought they were responding to calm, you know, the chaos that was going on. Yes, in one hand, it was a response. But it was according to the foreknowledge and the plan of God. Are you following me? And therefore, the people that Jesus came to save, it is the same thing. For many of us who call ourselves Christians here today, Yes, there was a time you surrendered your life. But it was according to the plan of God. The foreknowledge of God. Romans 8 verse 29, 28 tells us this. Romans 8 28 says, We know that our lives is not according to our own purpose. He says, And we know that in all things God, God, God works together for the good of those who love him and have been according to whose purpose? Where was his purpose? I'll tell you verse 29. Go on. For those whom he, you see that word again, foreknew. Jesus was the, according to the foreknowledge of God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He had already chosen their destination. What was their destination? To be fully conformed to the image of his son. So the day you became a Christian, it wasn't by your own doing. Or you think it was, and you put your faith in Christ. Yes, it is true. But you are living out a plan that God had already preordained for you. Somebody say amen. And 1 Peter 1 verse 2 then takes us through the process. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. 1 to 2. 1 to 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, he's writing to God's elect. Why are they called elect? Because, verse 2, the elect are those whom have been chosen according to what? Again. For knowledge of God the Father, right? So he chose. You are chosen. But now in time. You are prepared. How are you prepared? You are prepared by the homes that you are bought, brought up in. Some say, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Exactly. Because you weren't brought up in a Christian home, you experienced non-Christian things, and that made a desire in you to want to be like the Christians that you have seen. No matter what the aches, no matter the successes, God was preparing you to eventually meet with him. And when you met with him, he gave you his spirit. So he says, through the sanctifying work of the spirit. So the spirit now consecrated you. Do you see it? Election, preparation. Now the spirit sanctifies you. How? For what? He commissions you to go and live a life. What is that life? To be obedient to Jesus. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says they received the Holy Spirit and it then says, you will be witnesses of me. Consecration, commission, and then manifestation. Now somebody will say, eh, this, all this one is just the theological, canonical, canonical, all these salvation things. It's fine, it's good. But that's the larger purpose of my life. How about the smaller purpose of my life? Where I work, what I do. There was a guy who was a priest. But God ordained him for, ordained him for something else. His name is Jeremiah. You know what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 5 and 10? Listen to what he says about his vocation. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, in the womb, I knew you. Did you get that? Before knew. Before knew. Before I formed you, I knew you. The foreknowledge comes again. Before you were born, I set you apart. Set apart or sanctification is the same word as consecration. And he said, at that time, I had a plan for you. I appointed you to be what? a prophet. So in other words, Jeremiah came to the point where he was going to be a prophet. It's like, 
Oh, he thought that it was just by happenstance. Maybe there were no more prophets in the land. No. You're a baker here. It's not, there are plenty of bakers. But God ordained you to be that. You're working in another company. God ordained you to be that. You're working in advertising. God ordained you to be that. You're working as, as, as a, a stay-at-home mom. God ordained you to be that. I'm trying to tell you, listen, your life is not an accident. Your smaller purpose fits within a larger purpose. So though even in the times of suffering, you see many of us, we are at the point of preparation. But we are asking God for manifestation. He says, I cannot bring you there yet. I am still preparing you. In whatever stage you find yourself, know that your story was written by God. It's not written by happenstance. Amen? And so with Jeremiah, he said, I appointed you long ago. But there was a today for Jeremiah. He says in verse 10, he says, today I appoint you in time. So after the preparation, there is the time when he's called. And it's the same thing with these guys here. God appointed Jeremiah to the prophetic office. God had ordained them from time before to the office of a deacon. And so because you know that your lives, what you're about to step into now, is not just city church needs new deacons. Yeah, well, we can't do with more deacons. But it is that before you were formed in your mother's womb, God had appointed you to be a deacon. Are we together? And on account of that, guys, let me give you one small instruction. You have already seen the qualifications of deacons, all of those things. I'm not going to say all of that. Here's the instruction I want to give you. Pour out your heart before you pour out your service. Pour out your heart before you pour out your service. What do I mean by that? Just before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered his disciples in a room and he did something dramatic, something incredible. What did he do? He washed their feet. Now, there was something that we're meant to get out of that washing of feet. Give me John chapter 13, verse 14 to 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, that's incredible because the washing of the feet was one of the lowest things you could do in that society. It was servants that did that for masters, not the other way around. So he said, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example. So Jesus was teaching how to be leaders and he's saying to them, but also to us, if you look at what I have done here, you can get an example of how to be a particular leader. And I want to draw out something metaphorically from this thing. He said he has set an example. The setting of the example was in what? Was in washing the feet. But before, how did he wash the feet? What's the sequence of events? So that takes me to verse 5. Look at what happened in verse 5. It says, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. What was the point, what was the service that Jesus rendered to them? He washed their dirty feet and he dried them. Amen. The feet were dirty, he washed it and he dried them. That was the service he rendered. What did he do before he did that? Did you see it? Did you see it? He poured the water into the basin. He poured the water into the basin. Now imagine for one second that Jesus did not pour water, but Jesus cleaned their feet. What will happen? The feet will remain dirty, and Jesus' hand will also remain dirty. Am I correct? Am I correct? And if he brought towel, he won't use the towel because it's not wet. But everything will be dirty. 
it's not just that the people will still remain dirty, it's that he himself will remain dirty, will become dirty. And that's why I said I want to draw something metaphorically from this. Before you guys wash the feet of the people of God, before you serve us, pour the water first. And by that I mean this, pour out your heart before you pour out your service. Because it is possible to pour out service without pouring out your heart. A lot of people serve because of different reasons. If you serve and people see you, in fact, let me put it this way, if you don't pour out from your heart, whatever you don't pour out from your heart, let me say it another way. When you render service that is not from the heart, very quickly it becomes service that is only for the eyes. If the service doesn't come from the heart, very quickly it's service that is rendered to the eyes. That's what we call eye service. And there are reasons for it. Ah, let me serve self well so that I become deacon. When I become deacon, they call me deacon this, then I gain respect. Or so that people can talk about me in a certain way. So that I can get clout. I've already been successful in business. I need to be successful in the church because I need to have success in many different places. Eventually, not only will that puff you up, it can, but for some people, it, is, it will drive you. You will serve so much that eventually you will burn out. The way you can sustain this place and this office that God has called you into is first to give your heart and from the abundance of your heart. Nobody has... I, I'm not teaching what is wrong. The thunder was not... It wasn't, it wasn't because of, uh, you know, the people like, ah, eh? heresy, <laughs> thunder. The service must come from our heart before it comes out. It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. You see, Paul was writing to a group of Christians in Corinth, and he was talking about generosity. He was trying to tell them to be generous, and he was inspiring them from another group of Christians in Macedonia. You know what he said to them? He first said that this thing, is this, this uh, I love what he called it. He didn't just say be generous. He called it the service. Put it 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4. He said they urgently pleaded, that's the Macedonians, with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. This giving was a service. He said they, they, were, they, uh, they, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Then he said, that as a result of this, they exceeded their expectations. What made them exceed their expectations in terms of the act of service? What was the key? Here was the key. They gave themselves first of all. Give yourself first. Pour your heart out first. Give it to the Lord, not to the people of God. Give it to the Lord and then to the people of God and then your service will flow out of that. Because then you are not working or acting towards people. You are doing it to the Lord. And it's the same thing, whatever places we find ourselves. Many people complain about the bosses, complain about this, complain about that, complain. There's always something to complain about because your heart is not really there. But when your heart is there, give your heart to that and you'll see the way the thing flows. Amen? And so that's the one instruction I want to give to you guys. Pour out your heart before you pour out your service. Now there's one final thing I want to leave with you. And it takes us back to Moses. You see, because instructions are not enough. Whenever we go into a new job, if they give us a job description and say, yeah, go ahead and do it, that's not enough. You need some kind of training. You need some tools. Imagine going to a place, they say, go and code, and they don't give you a computer. They say, should be you have computer, laptop, and let's use your own. I know that happens. I hope some of us who are bosses, you are not doing that. Don't, don't do it, it's bad. 
All right? We need not just the instructions of our job descriptions. We also need to be what? Empowered with tools, with training, with inspiration, with motivation, with also remuneration. So God was sending Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> Moses was like, God, I'm not saying you don't know all things, but have you looked at Pharaoh recently and have you looked at me? Why would he listen to me? God said, ah, who do you think created the mouth? Who do you think? Okay, God demonstrated a few miracles in front of him. And so God now said, go. So that Moses knew that when he was going, he was not going alone. His instruction was coming back with power. God empowered Moses. So now, some people were meant to help Moses in doing what Moses did. God says, appoint them. But appointing them was not enough. Instructing them is not enough. So God said, just like I did with you, Moses, I'm going to do with these ones. Bring them out, and now I will take the spirit that is upon you, and I will put it on them. In other words, as you are coming to this office, we are not just going to allow you to be instructed. No. The reason why we are going to put hands on you and anoint you is this, that the spirit of God will come upon you. Amen? Now, don't mistake the theology here. It is not that they are getting the Spirit again in the same way as though they were saved. The Bible says that you receive the Spirit once, but you are filled with the Spirit multiple times for different things. Let me give you an example. Because when it comes to special offices in the church, among God's people, he anoints them and empowers them. So David, for instance, after Saul, God said he has chosen David, 1 Samuel verse 16 verse 1, that choice thing again. Do you see that plan thing? I have chosen David. So he told Samuel, because I have chosen somebody, one of the sons of, Beth, of Jesse in Bethlehem to become king, put oil into your flask and go and anoint him. So Samuel, he says, took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on, on David. This was not a spirit to give him new life. No. It was the spirit to empower him to be, to rule as king with equity and justice. That's why when David messed up with Bathsheba, he wrote a psalm in Psalm 51. And at one point he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The spirit that is given to function in the role that he accorded him. In the same way, some people say, oh, but that's for special offices. Do you know a guy called Bezalel? For whether you're a teacher here, whether you are, you are a programmer here, you can ask for a fresh feeling of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying as opposed to your training. Your training is important as a doctor, but you can actually ask for the Spirit of God to help you do what you did. Bezalel was an architect, and it was the Spirit of God that was upon him that enabled him to do it with distinction. We need empowerment, just not instruction. And so they need empowerment, and by God's grace, that empowerment will come upon them this morning. You see, it's not just that by the time you get to the Acts chapter 6, where they appointed those people, it said that they laid hands on them in Acts 6 verse 6. Why? Because it was symbolically, what the oil and the laying on hands are doing is that it's symbolically representing the fact that they, have, they need empowerment and that God gives them the spirit to serve in that role. And so what we are going to do to them today, when we get to the ordination part, is we are going to anoint them with oil and we are going to lay hands on them. So that the Spirit of God will come upon them. I've been praying for you guys with a particular scripture. And I really believe prophetically that it will come to pass. It was Saul. When Saul was going to be appointed king, when Samuel went to meet Saul, in 1 Samuel verse 10, he told him what exactly was going to happen. He said, the Spirit of the Lord, and I said, I've been praying for days with this scripture for you guys. He said, the Spirit of the Lord will come 
powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. May you guys be changed after the ordination today. You came in here as ordinance, but when you leave as deacons, you will not live the same. And one last thing, and I'll finish with this. For us members of City Church, because they are not going to be the same, guess what? We as a church will not be the same as well. You know how? I'll leave with this. In Acts chapter 6, when they appointed deacons, in verse 1, it started by saying that the disciples were increasing. I would say, ah, disciples were increasing. That's good. Acts 6 1. Right? Acts 6 1. The disciples were increasing. That's not a bad thing, is it? Right? In those days, oh, I didn't put that. In those days, but the disciples were increasing. By the time you get to Acts 6 verse 7, after they've appointed those people, laid hands on them, you know what happened? You know what the effect was? Give me verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. You say, ah, it's like the other one. No, 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 no. Look at what the, 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 the adjective after. They increased what? Rapidly. They were a particular church before the deacons were ordained, but after the deacons were ordained, oh, God took them to another level. City Church, I pray that the promises that God has given us, even this year and the, year that's, the years that are to come, by reason of what shall happen and take place in this place, we will not be the same again. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.